Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Rank the 80s. I do apologize for getting this out fairly late. In fact, this is actually take two. The first take I quite frankly wasn't satisfied with because I don't think I went into enough detail on the games. But anyway, enough of that. Let's move on to the games themselves. So the first game up on the list today is a little classic known as Urban Champion. Now, has anyone out there seen The Fast Show? Or, uh, I think, Brilliant, as it was called in America. Now, there was a sketch on that show called The Big Long Punch-Up, which was just an overly long fight scene of two people punching each other on the docks. Imagine that as a video game, and you pretty much get Urban Champion. The difference, of course, being that this game takes place on the street, but otherwise it's pretty much the same. Yeah, not the most exciting concept in the world, is it? Now... Fighting games weren't really much of a thing back in the 80s. You know, Street Fighter 2 was kind of the game that revolutionised and effectively made the genre explode in popularity in the early 90s. And of course, that game didn't exist in the 80s. There was Street Fighter 1, which wasn't very good, but that's for another time. Now, of course, Urban Champion was a very early effort, and you'll find that with fighting games that a lot of the early efforts have not stood the test of time all that well. You know, there's a reason that no one plays Street Fighter 1 nowadays, is all I'm saying. In fact, I would dare say that Urban Champion is really just a glorified version of the Game & Watch boxing game, which was released around the same time. I say this because the core gameplay is based around high and low punches and blocking, and with the controls giving you a strong and weak punch, the stronger punch taking more time to pull off. And that's really about it. There are a couple of gameplay differences between the two, but, yeah, not a whole lot. In fact, the only gameplay differences I noticed between the two are the fact that there's no health meter in this game. In this game, you win rounds by knocking the other player off the side of the screen. The other difference is that you have to win three rounds in order to win a fight. At which point, a random unnamed woman shows up in front of the shop you're fighting in front of and throws a bunch of confetti everywhere. Okay, there is actually one other difference, which is that every now and then an outsider lunch shows up to try and interfere with the fight. Every now and then a random man will appear out of one of the shop windows to drop a plant on one of the players' heads. And if that happens, then they get dizzied for a few seconds. And every now and then a police car will show up and both players will go to the edges of the screen, effectively restarting the fight. Aside from that, there's really not much to say about the gameplay. Strategy-wise, it's very basic. You've got the high punches and the low punches, the heavy punches and the light punches... And generally I find, well, you want to mix up the punches, and every now and then you want to block. Now those of you who've listened to the first episode will know that I did actually bring up Urban Champion during the Blades of Steel segment, because there is a section in that game that plays very much like Urban Champion. I couldn't really find any strategy in Blades of Steel that worked, however. Whereas in this game, I find that mixing up the high and low punches does work fairly well. And blocking in this game does actually have some degree of effectiveness, since the game does have a stamina meter, and if this meter runs out, this effectively leaves the player as a sitting duck. Though honestly, both players have so much stamina to start out with that usually it's not really a factor. But it is at least nice that it's there regardless. As for the presentation, well, the thing with black box games is that they're very plain as far as presentation goes. They're usually presented in such a way that you can tell what everything is, but there's no real amount of detail or anything like that. It's just kind of, well, this is what we could do with the NES in 1984 with 8 kilobytes of graphics. And, you know, it looks fine. It's certainly a cut above the Coleco version and the Sega SG-1000 and that sort of thing. But it's nothing spectacular compared to what would come out a few years later. 
One thing that did kind of bother me, however, is the fact that the shops all look the same. The only difference is that they get palette swapped. And I did notice that the font they use for the storefronts is used in the same font they use for the menu on the title screen, which looks a bit cheap. Though given the very limited amount of graphics they had to work with, I guess I can live with it. The music is very minimal too. The music that plays during the fight is just a simple bass line, much like in Donkey Kong. And yeah, I don't really mind it, it's there. It's not annoying, and I guess that's the most important thing. It's just kind of there in the background to make sure that the game isn't completely silent aside from the punch sounds. Overall I'd, overall, I'd say this is an excellent title for the time, and in fact, I would say that it's better than Blade of Steel. Of course not, obviously, I'm just being a bit facetious there. No, I would say that this game is... It was okay for the time, but it has not aged well. And I would definitely say it's better than Bird Week, but I would not rank it much higher than that. I mean, Pit Pot definitely had more going on, and as frustrating as I found that game at times, I definitely got more out of it. For that reason, I would put urban champion between those two games and so let's move on to a real classic one of the numerous generically named sports titles that nintendo would release in the 80s soccer doesn't get much more simple than that does it Yes, now Soccer was released a few months later in April 1985 in Japan, and in the first quarter of 1987 in the rest of the world. Now Soccer, as you might expect, is of course an adaptation of the fine sport of association football. Now one thing that I noticed with a lot of football games of the past is, much like fighting games, the quality games didn't really seem to show up until the early 90s. The first truly great one that I can think of is Sensible Soccer, and maybe there's some other classics that came out before it that I'm just not aware of. But while there were a few notable games in the 80s like Tekken World Cup and Kickoff, I think Sensible Soccer might have been the first true classic in the genre. So where does that leave Soccer for the NES? Well, let's see. Now, the presentation, again, is pretty plain. In fact, the pitch is rendered in a single flat shade of green. They didn't even bother to have different colored lines like on most other games, even at the time. But I'm going to chalk that down to the limitations of the time. What did strike me as kind of weird, though, is the fact that the lines on the pitch are all rendered in light blue, as opposed to white, like literally every other football game that's ever been made. Can't really blame that on limitations. That's just kind of a bizarre palette choice now, to be fair, the players do have a decent amount of animation, and they do choose distinct enough palettes to where you can tell each team apart, unlike in Blades of Steel, where there were a couple of teams that had very similar palettes. So I can give this game a point there. As for the music, well, it's much like Urban Champion. It's just kind of there, just playing quietly in the background. It's not annoying, but it's nothing special either. I've certainly seen other console football games from the 80s that had much better music than this, but again, I can't really complain. It's just... It's inoffensive enough. The only notable thing about the music is the fact that it doesn't use the same generic theme as most of the other black box sports games. So I guess that's worth a point. But where the problems really start to come in was with the controls. And this is where Nintendo Soccer really loses points for me. My first major gripe with this game is the speed. This game is ridiculously slow as far as football games go. If you've ever played baseball for the NES, it's just as bad as it was there. And that's a huge problem. But the bigger overall problem comes with your lack of options for attack or defense. Now first off, when you're playing in defense, you really have no tackle options whatsoever. Now usually in football games, you have a slide tackle and sort of kind of a pressure button to try and muscle the player off the ball. 
But in this game, you don't have either of those. You have one button to try to kick the ball, which as far as I can tell is pretty much useless, because you're either going to kick the ball off the pitch, or you're just going to miss the ball entirely. And given that kicking the ball in this game requires you to be in point-blank range, most of the time you're just not going to touch the ball at all, making it pretty much useless. Now, as far as I could tell, the B button selects the nearest player to the ball. Unfortunately, this also seems to be quite useless, as oftentimes you'll be in a situation where you've got a player rushing towards the player that you want to select, but it won't actually let you select that player because the player behind him happens to be closer to the ball. And because of this, you can't rush to the attacking player, thus effectively allowing them to get an easy run up to goal. For this reason, I recommend just playing as the goalkeeper as soon as the AI gets the ball in your own half. As for attacking options, well, it sounds okay on paper. You use the A button to shoot, and the B button to pass, which is all well and good. But the first problem comes in the fact that you can't do ground passes. You can only do passes in the air. Now, granted, because this is a six-a-side game, the players are usually pretty far from each other. But this still means that a passing game is pretty much out of the question. And what's far worse is that even lob passes are pretty much useless because you can't really cross the ball into the box. This is because four of the outfield players will hang around by the corners, while the fifth player, if you're not controlling him, will always be rushing to the ball, even if one of the other players on his own team has the ball. This effectively means that there's never going to be a situation where there's going to be a player to cross the ball into the box to. And this means that the only viable way to score goals in this game is to just rush up the centre of the pitch and to just shoot the ball as soon as you get to the penalty box. Yeah, your options in this game are incredibly limited, and this I think is the biggest problem with the game. As far as your attacking options go, you can't cross the ball into the box, and you can't pass it from the side either, because the players are never going to be in position for you to be able to do that. As for the goalie controls, they're very simple. The game is designed so that you control both the goalkeeper and one of the outfield players at the same time, much like in Blades of Steel. The only real difference is that you can move out of the six-yard box entirely in this game, meaning that if you're not careful, you can effectively gift the other player an open goal. This is one of the reasons I recommend playing as the goalkeeper, because you want to make sure you can catch the ball in any given opportunity. And the thing is, the goalkeeper never seems to punch the ball out of play or anything like that. If they're in the right spot where the ball is, they will catch it every single time. The other reason I recommend playing as the goalkeeper is because it's actually very easy to telegraph where the shots are going to go, especially in two-player mode. You see, the way the shooting system in this game works is that there's an arrow showing where the ball is going to go when you shoot the ball. Now granted, you can't see the AI's arrow because the game is just programmed to hide that, but if you're in a two-player game, you're always going to know where the ball's going to end up because the arrow is visible on screen at all times, provided you're on one of the opponent's halves. This, combined with the game's incredibly slow speed, makes it incredibly easy to stop the ball going in as long as you're focused on playing as the keeper. And this might actually be the biggest problem with the game. Another big problem with the game is the AI, which ranges between incredibly easy and incredibly hard to score against. This is because on levels 1 through 3, the AI never actively plays as the goalkeeper, meaning that they'll often move out of the goal entirely, effectively giving you a free goal. This can be exploited very easily. You're probably going to win by at least 10 goals. But on the higher levels, the AI will actively play as the goalkeeper, and any time you get the ball near the goal, the goalie will immediately rush out of the goal and grab the ball before you get the chance to shoot. This means that actually scoring goals on the higher levels is almost impossible, and unless one of the players gets a lucky goal, most games on the higher levels will end in board draws and will be decided on penalties. The slow speed means that this is also going to be true for the two-player mode as well. In fact, it's even worse in two-player because both players can see each other's arrows. What this game reminds me of most is actually the Free Alliance game on PlayStation, in that it's almost impossible for both the player and the AI to score. 
The one difference is that at least that game had Ocean Color Scene in it. This game doesn't even have that. Honestly, this might be the worst out of the Nintendo sports games, just because of your extremely limited options in both attack and defense, which effectively eliminates all strategy, combined with the incredibly slow pace of the game, and the difficulty which really only has two settings, incredibly easy and incredibly boring. As a result, I'd say that this game is quite bad and really deserves to reside near the bottom of the list. As basic as Urban Champion is, I would actually say it's better than this game because at least there was a modicum of strategy in that game. I would play it over Bird Week because at least the music doesn't give me ear damage. But that's really the best praise I can give it. Overall, this is a game to avoid. If you were around in 1985 or, hell, 1987 when the Western version came out, my recommendation would be to just go to the arcade and spend the money on Tech and World Cup instead. And so we come to the last game, and hopefully an actual classic this time, Balloon Fight! Now, Balloon Fight was released between the other two games, in January of 1985. Now, there is a bit of a story behind to this game. You see, in 1983, HAL Laboratory, or more specifically Satoru Iwata himself, had programmed a few ports of Golden Era arcade games to present to Atari in the hopes that they would distribute the Famicom over in the West. Needless to say, this deal never went through, but HAL wanted to make sure that this work didn't go to waste, so in 1987, they would end up releasing these ports themselves. But before this, they would actually use the programming from their port of Joust, for the arcade game Versus Balloon Fight, released in 1984. Now, Versus Balloon Fight was actually kind of a technical marvel of its time, simply for the fact that it could do smooth scrolling, a feat that Nintendo themselves was struggling with at the time, and who had to rely on Satoru Iwata to actually get the smooth scrolling themselves. And a version of the game would follow quickly for the Famicom. Now, as I alluded to previously, this game is essentially a clone of Joust, but with a few core differences. Now, in Balloon Fight, you control a man who has two balloons tied to him as he flies around the air trying to defeat various other dudes who also have balloons tied to them. I'm not really sure how this game works, but hey, it makes about as much sense as the original Joe's did, so who cares? The controls in this game are pretty simple. You can hold down the B button to flap in the air as many times as you want, and you can press the A button to flap once. Now, there's not much that can really be said about Balloon Fight that can't be said for Joust. One of the biggest differences is the level design, since in Joust, you essentially had one level that morphed as you progressed through the game. But in this game, you have, I believe, 11 unique levels that just loop out of order until you run out of lives. Of course, they do make this game a little bit more forgiving than Joust, given that in this game, you take two hits to die instead of just one. Now, granted, you do have to hit the AI twice to kill them too, but after the first hit, they become defenseless, as even touching them from below will not hurt you. And the more open level designs and the different physics do make it a lot easier to land on the enemies from above, from my experience. That said, the game does spice up the difficulty by adding various elements such as fish that appear from the water, those weird spinning things that appear on some of the levels, and of course the clouds that spawn lightning that kill you instantly if you hit it. But overall, I'd say the game is easier than Joust. I was certainly able to get much further into this game. But that's not to discredit Joe's, they're both great games of course. Now this game does spice things up a little bit with the occasional bonus stage where you have to pop balloons that fly out of pipes for some reason. Now of course this mode is a lot easier if you're playing in co-op mode. I find that in single player it actually comes down to RNG whether you can get all the balloons or not. If anything I find that this is the kind of game where the odd silly mistakes are what are going to cost you. Especially since your balloons don't refill between levels. 
Of course, they also spice things up with the classic balloon trip mode, in which you simply fly to the left endlessly and try to avoid getting hit by the many lightning bolts. This might actually be my favourite part of the game, partly for the awesome theme song that plays during it, and also because having to weave through the lightning bolts makes for a nice quick challenge. I think Nintendo themselves realised the potential that this mode had when they released Balloon Kid for the Game Boy some years later, and that game definitely expanded on the concept presented by this mode, but... I'm not really sure which one I prefer. That certainly provided more longevity in terms of gameplay, but I found this mode to be more fun personally. Maybe that's just me. The presentation is also pretty good by the standards of the time too. As I mentioned before, the music that plays during the balloon trip mode is excellent, and I would say one of the first truly great pieces of music generated by the NES. And the graphics are not bad too. There is a fair bit of personality, with the goblin-looking enemies contrasting with the cute-looking player characters as well as the gruesome looking fish that appears if a character hangs near the bottom of the stage for long enough. I'm not sure if I'd recommend this game over Joust, if anything I'd probably recommend it alongside it. But it's easily one of the better games that came out from the Black Box series, and I would say it's probably one of my favourites in the series so far. It's definitely not quite as good as Blades of Steel, though I probably would rank it a little bit above Hang On. Just because the bonus stages and the balloon trip mode and the different level designs, they do offer a bit more variation than that game had. And overall, I kind of had a little bit more fun with this game. And of course, this game has a co-op mode and that game does not. So you can have a bit more fun with this game with a friend. Overall, I'd say that this game is really quite good and is definitely one of the best I've played in this series so far. And so for anyone that listened this far, I thank you for listening to yet another episode of Rank the 80s. If you want to support the show, you can find the link to my Patreon in the podcast description. And I will hopefully see you next week for another episode of Rank the 80s. So until next time, I will see you later, people. See you.